Uh, good morning, my name is Eric. Uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, what a special morning so far. Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, as a church body for uh, just for being here. I know Kristen and I are so excited that we get to raise our kids with you all. So just thank you uh, for being a part of our lives. Uh, and just real quick, I just want to take a minute to welcome everyone who's going to listen in online and uh, on our video podcast later. There's a lot of people who are serving back in kids' ministry who watch our video uh, podcast later. So welcome. We're glad that you are here, that you're watching alongside of us later. We are in week two of this series called Peaks and Valleys, Life Lessons from Elijah. See, the thing is that all of us have these times where life is great. We're living life on the mountaintop. And in those times where it seems dark and, and maybe we can't see the sun, because we're living in Minnesota <laughs> in the wintertime, and it's dark and in the valley, but God is God of the hills and the valleys, amen? Uh, so often, if you're like me, I keep my hopes up around the holidays. You know, how many of you get so excited when Starbucks announces, you know, the pumpkin spice lattes are in? Yeah? Yeah, how about, I know some of you, eggnog lattes, that's your thing, yeah, I know my mother-in-law, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, so many times we get our, our hopes up around the holidays, we're so excited about, you know, what, what's going to happen, because we have this nostalgia and feel-good music and all these things, but if you're like me at all, so often I'm left discouraged during the holidays, they don't live up to my expectations. They don't live up to what I hope they will be. It's like, for me, year after year after year, I get so excited to have a cup of eggnog, and then I remember, oh yeah, I don't like eggnog. <laughs> oh man, how do I forget that every year, but it just sounds so good. And something about those holiday seasons where we have such high hopes, and it just, they struggle to live up to those expectations. Uh, and then my birthday actually falls within the holidays. Uh, my birthday's on Friday, and I get so excited for my birthday, and my wife goes all out, and she tries so hard, and no matter what, I just, oh, I don't know, I just hope for something more special, I don't know. So, feel sorry for her, because I have this high expectations for my birthday, and it's like, oh, I don't know. But that's, that's how life is, right? We, we, we have these expectations that things are going to go amazing, and then the reality is it's kind of... And so many times, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, when we get together as family, there's family tension. And so often the holidays can leave us feeling kind of weighed down and discouraged. Well, this morning if you're here, I believe that you are here for a reason and for a purpose. I believe God has something for you. And this morning, my prayer is that God will speak through me, that these may be my words, but be his words. And that you will leave here encouraged, challenged, you will leave with something special to help you as you head into the holiday season. And we don't want to just give you some information, but we want to help you have a life of transformation. And so inside your program is a note sheet, and we encourage you to take some notes. Because we think that if you can not just hear it, but if you can see it, write it down, and maybe discuss it with your spouse or your small group, that'll help get those truths down deep into your heart. If you're taking notes this morning, you can see that one of the main things that crush hope is discouragement. One of the main things that crush Hope is discouragement. Discouragement weighs us down. Hope is what pulls us to the surface. Hope is what gives us courage. We all know how powerful hope can be, as well as the reality of how dark hopelessness is. You see, I found that it's in our discouragement that we tend to make horrible decisions. No one drops out of school because they're too encouraged. No one files for divorce 
because their marriage is just full of encouragement and hope. No pastor quits the ministry because they receive too much encouragement. See, discouragement is the clouds turning dark around you, the waves getting choppy. Have you ever been there? Where it just feels dark. It feels like you don't know if the sun's ever going to shine again. I think you can sum it up with your second blank in your note sheet. Discouragement comes from feeling powerless. A lot of times discouragement comes from feeling powerless. I think all of us have experienced that to some degree or another in our lifetime. You know, a normal checkup at the doctor reveals something that leads to surgery. A private conversation goes public, causing shame and embarrassment. A relationship is broken because of actions that you took that you wish you could take back, but you can't. And now there's this tension and there's this discouragement. Discouragement comes from feeling powerless. We feel like there's nothing you can do. We feel powerless when someone betrays us. We feel powerless when our kids make controls that we can't control. When we're making choices that we can't control. We feel powerless when we're sick, when we're tired, we just can't seem to get better. We feel powerless when the bills add up more to what's in our account. And these realities weigh us down, and hope fades, and discouragement sets in, and the sense of powerlessness happens. But the good news is that we aren't alone in that feeling of discouragement, that feeling of powerlessness. If today you're facing something that it just feels too big, some mountain in your life that's like, God, I don't know what to do, and you're just feeling weighed down. This morning it feels like you never get to the end of semester and, and there's just too many projects left. If work just feels too busy, the good news is we aren't alone. And this is what people have been facing for thousands of years, and God's word gives us hope and encouragement. Would you join me in prayer as we dive into God's word today? God, I thank you so much that you are already here. So God, open our eyes to see you. Open our eyes to see what you are doing. God, help us to see what we're missing that you are already doing here among us and in us. God, I pray that this morning, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, oh God. That these be your words. God, I believe that you have something special for every person in this room. Be with us now. In the name we pray. Amen. We're, like I said, we're in week two of this series called Peaks and Valleys. And last week we talked about the power of provision. We learned how, you know, there was King Saul and then King David and then King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. But after King Solomon the Jewish kingdom split into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there were 200 years of wicked northern kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. And it got to the point where they were just doing horrible, horrible things, sacrificing their children to a false god, Baal. And God said, enough! And so he raises up Elijah, so often as he does, God doesn't send an army, he doesn't send a legion of angels, he raises up one person to stand for truth, for what's right. And Elijah confronts the evil king Ahab and says, God says, enough. By his word, there will be no rain until I pray again for three years. So Elijah goes off into the desert and these ravens feed him and there's power of provision. Then the brook dries up. So God leads him to a foreign country where there's a widow from Zarephath. And, and she's getting ready to die <coughs> because of this famine. And we learned last week that God takes Elijah through these three seasons of preparation. A season of isolated pain where Elijah's by himself. 
And then total dependence as he relies on these birds to bring him food. And then unconditional obedience as God leads him away from that desert experience into the life of this widow. And God's provision often awaits our preparation. It's only when God has done something in Elijah's heart, when he's prepared him to be a conduit of God's blessing for this widow. And when God has prepared Elijah, now he can be a way for God to provide for this widow. And God is able to use him as a as an instrument of provision. And so Elijah comes and, and God tells him to go to this widow. And he meets this widow. We talked about this last week. And she's gathered up some sticks to make one last fire, to cook one last meal, to use up the last bit of her flour and her oil, to bake some bread, some biscuits, to have a final meal, and then she's going to lay down and die with her son. That's when Elijah steps into her story. He says, no. He says, you're not going to die. And Elijah, because of what God has been doing in his life, he looks at an impossible situation, and he speaks faith into it. He says, that flour you have is not going to run dry. That oil you have will not run dry. For the next three years, God's going to miraculously provide for you. He says, go, bake me some biscuits for me and for you and your son. And she does. They eat the biscuits, and the flour doesn't run dry, and the oil doesn't run dry. And that is the beginning of the great doxology that says, you know, praise God from whom all biscuits flow. <laughs> I was like, am I going to sing that or am I going to say it? I'm going to say it. I'm going to sing it this morning. Uh, sing it. Praise God from whom all biscuits flow. There you go. That's just right. <laughs> and so it's amazing. God is using Elijah to provide for unlimited, you know, uh, red lobster biscuits, cheddar biscuits. That's probably what they were. So good. And, 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 and these biscuits were gluten-free. And they were fat-free and carb-free. It was amazing. And so they were living on God's food. And then, they, they've been, it's been amazing and tragic story. That's where we pick up today's text. Verse 17, chapter 17 of 1 Kings. After this, this provision, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. What? It looks as if this boy has been saved from starvation, only to die from some illness. What is that about God? And there's no word from God. Elijah doesn't receive any kind of prophecy. There's no explanation of how this is all going to fit into God's plan. And this widow's reaction is to turn on Elijah. And I can't blame her, can you? She says, what kind of man of God saves a mother and son from starvation only to allow that son to die from sickness? I mean, as a parent myself, I think I'd rather choose to starve to death with my child and die together than to miraculously be provided for only to see my kid get sick and slowly die until there's no more breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? I wonder if she calls him man of God with a little sarcasm. I'm sure she's thinking, and man, if her son dies, then Elijah and his God, in spite of this miraculous provision of flour and oil, they're powerless. Or maybe Elijah is a powerful prophet from powerful God, but it's a cruel God. Maybe this is some trick, this bottomless jug of oil and flour, some setup or some cosmic joke to give her hope only to have it ripped away, just designed to punish her for her past sins. This poor woman has been through so much. Imagine 
what life was like for her, just her and her little boy. Her husband had died. And together, mother and son were slowly starving to death because of the drought and famine in the land. And she had faced her impending demise. And she would take her little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, make one last meal, and then she and her son would die. And that's where she was at in her story. What would you be thinking if you were her? What would you say to your child? This is our last meal together. I want us to put ourselves in her shoes. And then how would you respond if you're gathering that last bit of food to feed that one final meal to your kid when some stranger walks up and asks for that food? Like, how would you respond? Like, this is crazy, right? So I think sometimes we forget that these characters embedded in the Old Testament are people just like us. They had hopes and dreams. They believed. They doubted. They felt joy and experienced despair. They suffered real pain. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They, they couldn't read ahead to the next chapter. Imagine the suffering of this woman. Not only was she grieving the loss of her husband, but she's now forced to face the reality that she and her son are going to die. There's no denying the terrible situation she's in. But what she didn't know, that God had chosen her. That God was going to step into her story to reach into her world, to bless her beyond measure. God had already chosen her to be a part of something more wonderful than her broken heart could ever imagine. See, often when our world seems darkest, that's when God's light shines brightest. When there seems to be no hope, that's when God shows up. When our world seems darkest, God's light comes in and shines the brightest. This widow was prepared to see her and her son die. But then Elijah steps in. And suddenly, for the first time in forever, she experiences something she hasn't experienced in so long. Hope. She experiences hope. Oh, how her heart had to be abounding with hope and life. Maybe we're not going to die. Maybe God has a plan for us. And suddenly, Son dies. And hope dies. She's angry. She blames Elijah, accusing of him of killing her son. She also blames herself, thinking that the death of her son had something to do with her past. She's wondering, is God judging me because of mistakes I've made in the past? Have you been there? You thought, man, what's happening right now? Hope had ripped away, has hope died? You're left wondering if God is judging you because of mistakes that you've made. I want you to get rid of that picture of God. God is a good, good father. He doesn't just love you. He so loves you. He gave the most precious thing of all, his only son. When God describes himself to Moses, he says he's a God rich in love, slow to anger. God is not here to bring your past sins up, to bring shame and guilt. That comes from the accuser. That comes from our enemy. Our God is God of hope in What I find so amazing, this, this woman, who's just a few verses before, was ready to give up, ready to give up on her son. Now she's adamant she's not going to let her son die. Because something has happened to this woman, transformed by her encounter with Elijah. This widow has found out once more the, the will to live, not just for herself, but for her son. She's found hope. She's found hope. See, lives are transformed by the power of hope. 
Families are transformed by the power of hope. Marriages are transformed by the power of hope. Communities are transformed by the power of hope. That's why we exist as a church, to help people find hope and healing through Jesus Christ. And if you are here for the first time, we're so glad that you are here. We want you to leave feeling hope. If you are suffering from some hurt, some pain, we want you to experience healing that only comes through Jesus Christ. There's something about hope that ignites our hearts, that transforms us. This woman has found hope. Or we could also say that hope found her. This woman was not looking for God. She was looking to die. <coughs> but God was looking for her. And God sends Elijah to step into her story to show that he doesn't just love the whole world. He sees a single mom barely able to make ends meet. He says, I love you. I've chosen you. He gives hope to her. God has begun a good work in her, but her, her young faith made you grow stronger. That's the same with you and I. See, the trials we go through in life are never meant to destroy our hope or to remind us of our past sins. If anything, the things we go through, the mountains, the valleys, they're meant to strengthen our faith, not to destroy it. And it's through those trials that God is at work. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6-7 says it this way. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Is that where we are today? You've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who went through a lot, who died for his faith in Christ. Our trials are not meant to destroy us. They're meant to help us grow deeper in our faith in God. So what happens next? Elijah, because of the work that God's been doing in his life, did something that to our knowledge has never been done before. Elijah tells this widow, give me your son. This son was all this woman had. I'm sure she, that her, now that her husband was dead, she was planning on her, her boy taking care of her in, in her old age. Her son was her everything. And now Elijah is saying, give me your son. Give me your everything. That's what God's asking us. What is that thing you are relying on? What is that thing you're trusting in? And God says, give that to me. And we're going to see that because he wants to take it away. He's going to give it back to us with life and hope. 1 Kings 17, verse 19. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he had lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Now Elijah doesn't say, Hey, don't worry about it. It's all part of the plan. You know, he doesn't say, Just let go and let God he doesn't say, oh, I guess God needed one more angel up in heaven. He doesn't say any of those things to this widow. Instead, he says, give me your son. And then Elijah takes the boy, and he heads upstairs to have a private word with God. You ever done that? Had a private word with God? 
God, you and I need to talk right now. Like, I don't understand. And I want you to know, that's okay. You need to have it out with God. That's okay. God can take it. God can take your anger, your frustration. Your relationship with God will never grow deep until you can get real with God. If you've been at this place where your prayers are just surface level and very polite, I want to encourage you, get real with God. Get to the place where you are crying, you are angry, you know, snot's coming down your face. That's okay. God can take it. And Elijah, he's going to get real with God. He said, God, I don't understand. You sent me to this widow and now you've killed her son? What are you doing? This is not right. This is not good. And Elijah says, you know what? I don't believe that death and sickness is part of your plan. Death and sickness is part of the curse. It's part of the enemy. But our God is about a life and hope. And Elijah says, this is not right. And he says, heal this boy now. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Three times. Let this child's life come into him. Let this child's life come into him. Elijah doesn't give up. He keeps hoping. He keeps praying. He keeps begging for God. He says, no, this is not the end of the story. Verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again. He revived. Amazing. First time in the Bible. We see someone pass from death to life. And God listens to Elijah's prayer and brings his dead son back to life. No, honestly, as a pastor, as a Bible scholar, what I expect is that the biblical narrator, because someone is writing down the story, and is communicating something to us. The people who wrote God's word, they, they, they have a reason for that, the message. And what I expect the narrator to tell us, God's people, is, this is all part of the plan. That God had this resurrection miracle planned all along. And, and God wanted to show that not only was he the God who provides, not only is he more powerful than Baal, who is the God of fertility, and so God is shutting him down, but he's more powerful than even death. Like, right? That's what we think. Like, the narrator is going to tell us this is all God planned all along. That's not what the text says. Instead, we hear the boy is healed and raised to life. Because the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Now, to me, this is so surprising because on the surface, when I come into the story of Elijah, I think this story is all about the power of God's voice, of getting God's people to hear God's word, to respond to his <laughs> voice. Yet, at this pivotal moment in the narrative story of Elijah, the tide turns because God listened to Elijah's voice. The boy is healed and raised to life because God recognizes the truth in Elijah's protest. In turn, God does something as far as we know has never done before in history. Up until this moment, God undoes death. In this moment of crisis, in response to Elijah's prayer, God pulls a resurrection out of the hat. Verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The single mom had nothing left in her life. 
except her son. And Elijah says to her, give me your son. She had to let go of everything, her whole world, that is now dead and give it up to God. And in return, she gets her son back alive. Hope is rekindled. And the woman now knows the God who transformed despair and mourning into laughter and hope. God has chosen the single mom who was barely able to make ends meet to be part of something that would influence people of faith for centuries. This single mom from nowhere is a part of our story. Here today, hundreds of years later, we're talking about her and how God used her to encourage our hearts. God chose this poor widow and her only son to be included in a prophecy about the most significant event that would ever happen in history. God has chosen her to be a living witness to death and resurrection. See, through this widow from Zarephath, God would declare himself not only to be the giver of life through the power of provision, but as the giver of life who could do what no one else can do, defeat death. And the death and resurrection of this widow's son is a physical prophecy of another one and only son who would die and then rise again. Jesus would die carrying our sins. But he would not stay dead. He would not need someone else to pray for him to stay in the gap. But he would do what no one else could do by coming back to life. Conquering for all the power of sin and death and destruction. He would rise out of the tomb, giving life to all who put their trust in him. The resurrection of the son of this widow is pointing to the future resurrection of the son of God, Jesus Christ. How amazing that God uses this woman from nowhere as a sign to point to the most amazing event that's ever been happened. What is dead in your life? God needs to raise back to life. Is it a dream? Is it a relationship? Is it a hope? Is it a sense of purpose? Maybe joy? Maybe this holiday season, it's been a long time since you've experienced true joy. Have you gotten your hopes up? Just to see them dash to pieces because of something unexpected that crashed into your world. Elijah says this woman, give me your son. Maybe this morning, there's something you need to give to God. Something you've been clutching and holding on to. You need to turn over to him. What is that thing? Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fears. Maybe it's adult children who are making decisions that you don't agree with and you've just been carrying that yourself. And God says, give it to me. You're going to hand that over, trusting that you're good enough to carry that, to take care of it. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Maybe there's someone right now that you know in your life. Maybe they're your small group. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. And they are the end of their rope. 
is this fancy word we use in church sometimes called intercessory prayer. What intercessory means is you're standing before that person as an advocate. A lawyer is an intercessor. Admin assistants oftentimes are intercessors, go between it, two people. Elijah was an intercessor for this boy. And God healed the son because of the prayers of Elijah. Maybe there's someone right now that God is bringing to mind that you need to stand in the gap for, that you need to be their advocate. You know they are too weak, too filled with brokenness and have no hope left. They can't stand for themselves. And part of our reason for being a church and followers of Christ is that we stand for those who are too weak to stand for themselves. We say, when you're too weak, we will be strength. We will pray for you even when you don't even have the hope of prayer. As we close our service, we're going to give you a chance to respond. The band's going to play a song. Then we'll officially close our service. And then after that, you can stay and linger if you want. During the song, my wife, Chris, and I will just be down front. If you want someone to lay a hand on you and just pray, Chris and I would love to do that. There's nothing special about this elementary gymnasium, but by our actions, we make this space sacred. So I want to encourage you. Take these steps and Maybe there's someone you know you need to be an advocate for. You need to pray for. Take that step of faith to come out of your step, out of your seat, and just come up here and, and, and physically carry them in your mind and pray for them. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. God wants us to pray, to lift up those around us. There's something that happens when we take our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances. We start praying for those around us. God does something in our own lives. And we're going to see next week how Elijah then is able to be used by God in this amazing way. I want you to know this morning that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And if you're feeling hopeless, you can know Jesus. He is calling out to you. He so desperately wants to know you, to be in a relationship with you. And whatever you're going through, Jesus is not looking to judge you, to strike you down. He's just wanting to give you a big hug to say, you're home. And I want to invite you just to respond to him. This morning you heard the message, but maybe you need to feel it. Jesus says to love God with our heart, our, our, our mind, our soul, our strength. And preaching engages our minds. There's something about taking that step of faith, get on our knees, lift a hand as we engage our bodies, engage our souls. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to lead this song, and I invite you to respond. Whatever way that seems right to you. To stay in your seat, to come forward, to lift someone up in prayer, to give that over to God, that thing that you've been holding on to, that you know you feel like it. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are here in this elementary gym. God, that you love us so much, that you are rich in love, that you are slow to anger, that you are the God of hope. So God, I pray right now 
as we respond to you, God, that we would give to you those things that we've been holding on to. Our anxiety, our fear, our worries, the people in our lives that, God, that we, we shouldn't be carrying, but we hand them over to you, God, that let you carry them. And God, I, I also pray that you would just bring to mind those people in our lives, God, that, that we need to be an advocate for, to lift them up in prayer, God, how, how do you want to use me to be an instrument of hope and light and life? We thank you for Jesus. What a beautiful name, a name of hope and healing and power and life. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We sing this song.